0: Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary, Port St. Lucie. Let's join lead pastor, Mike Wiggins, with the message, Sound the Alarm, Part 2. All right, well, last week we started our study of the seven trumpet judgments. And so in the Old Testament, among other things, trumpets were used in order to sound the alarm for war. In Numbers chapter 10, verse 9, God said this to Moses. He said, when you arrive, Moses, in your own land and go to war against your enemies who attack you, sound the alarm. How? With the trumpets. And so when the trumpets were blown in Israel, the men of Israel knew it's time to muster up your courage, guys. It's time to go out and it's time to fight against these pagan nations that are coming against us to try to destroy us. In the same way, during the tribulation period, when the seven trumpets are sounded from heaven, the result, the judgments that will be unleashed upon the the world will sound the alarm that the time of Christ's coming is really, really near. And so last week, we got through the first four trumpet judgments. If you weren't here last week, by way of review, the first trumpet was hail and fire. The result? A third of the vegetation was burned up on the earth. The second trumpet was, we believe, an asteroid impact on one of our oceans. And the result, a third of the sea life and the ships were destroyed. The first trumpet sounded from heaven. And what happened was, John said, a blazing torch. Some people think it's another asteroid. Um, I tend to lean toward the fact that John is trying in the best of his ability to describe nuclear warfare. And so the third trumpet uh, judgment, what happens during the third trumpet judgment is a third of the fresh water is polluted. And then of course in the fourth trumpet judgment, we see that there's partial darkness. And so as people that are alive during the tribulation period are trying to recover from you know, the pelting hail, the raging infernos, as they're trying to recover from the asteroid that will impact the world, as they're trying to recover from nuclear warfare that's probably most likely gonna take place during the last seven years of history as we know it, and as they try to recover from partial darkness during the day and partial darkness during the night, an angel gives a sobering announcement So I want you to look at the very end of verse 13 from chapter eight. What does the angel say? Woe, woe, woe. That'll just brighten up your day this morning, right? To those who dwell on the earth at the blasts of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. Okay, and so we already have the first four trumpet judgments, and the angel is saying, in essence, you know, if you think the first trumpet judgments were bad, pardon my bad English, you ain't seen nothing yet. What does the angel have to say about the fifth, sixth, and seventh trumpet judgments? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, and so you really don't want to be here when all this stuff happens. Okay, look at verse one. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet... And I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. And so John's having all these apocalyptic visions. He sees every once in a while a star falling from heaven, aster, not a literal star, but any celestial body. Back in chapter six, verse 13, he saw what we believe is gonna be a massive meteor shower that's going to carpet bomb a part of the earth. It causes men and women to hide in caves. In chapter 8, verse 8, last week, uh, we, we John saw what we believe is going to be an asteroid that's on a collision course with the earth. Those were stars. This star in chapter 9, verse 1, is different than the other stars John has seen for at least two reasons. Look at verse 1 again, and I'll point those two reasons out. It says, and the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star, okay, what's the word? Fallen. Okay, this star has already fallen from heaven to the earth, and what's the word? He, do you see that in verse one? And he was given the key to the shaft to the bottomless pit, okay? And so this star has already fallen, and this star is a he, now, sometimes stars in the Bible are referred to as angels. In Job chapter 38, verse 7, it says at the time of creation, when the immaterial God created a material universe, it says that the morning stars, the angels, shouted for joy and they sang together. In Isaiah, don't you have to turn there, but in Isaiah 14, we know that Isaiah talks about the day star. If you have the King James or New King James Version, day star means Lucifer, okay? And so Isaiah talks about another star that fell from heaven because, you know, I will, I will, I will, Lucifer said, the created angel, the beautiful angel in heaven, I will ascend above the most high God, El Elyon, okay? And so here's what happened. Lucifer, the day star, sometime in, in, in the past, after he was created, he allowed pride to corrupt his heart. And what did the day star do? He somehow, I don't know how he pulled this off. He's an evil genius. But he somehow deceived one third of the heavenly host. And by the way, how many angels are there? Myriads and myriads, thousands and thousands, times thousands, they're innumerable. And so Lucifer and his angels rebelled against God. Now what happens when, an un, when, when a created being tries to fight against an uncreated being, he got the boot, okay? And so um, Jesus, who is not created, if you're with me, say amen here. Amen. Jesus is not created. The cults teach Jesus is created, okay? We believe 1,000% in what's known as the Trinity, Even though the Bible never says the word Trinity, it is there. It is implied in the Old Testament, and it's clearly revealed in the New Testament. There is one God, monotheistic Trinitarianism. There's one God eternally existent in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus, the eternal second person of the Trinity. Jesus, the eternal God said to his disciples, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So Jesus was there when Lucifer got the boot. And so Lucifer became Satan, the fallen angels became demons, and in this chapter, we're gonna see that they're gonna carry out their full fury upon those who are alive during the tribulation period. Okay, and so having said all that, who is the star in chapter nine, verse one, if you're taking notes, It is Satan. Now, Satan initially fell one time, but you need to know that during the tribulation, in the future, he's gonna fall again. Okay, and so real quick, we're gonna cheat. Turn right to Revelation chapter 12, really quick. But in Revelation chapter 12, it speaks about a second fall of Lucifer. Starting in chapter 12, verse seven. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. Okay, these are holy angels fighting against fallen angels. And by the way, they're all immortal, they cannot die, but some are more powerful than others. Verse eight, but he, that's the dragon, was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down. See the second fall there? That ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Jump down to verse 12. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to you, O earth and sea. For the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because his, he knows his time is short. And so sometime during the tribulation period, Satan and his angels, fallen angels, are gonna fight against Michael and the holy angels. And what's gonna happen is that Michael and the holy angels are going to defeat Satan and the fallen angels, and he's going to throw them down to the earth. Michael. Michael. By the way, I love that name. Oh yeah, it's my name. Okay, Michael <laughs> is gonna beat Satan and he's gonna fall to the earth. And so Satan got beat up, or he's gonna get beat up in the future. Did you ever get beat up when you were a kid? You remember how mad you were? Some of you are thinking, I wasn't mad, I was just hurting like, all over my body, you know what? Well, Satan, his, his, his ego's gonna be bruised. He's gonna be so angry. Here's the thing. He's gonna know his time is short. So his wrath, is gonna be great. Again, you don't wanna be here during this, during this time. And he has the key, for some reason, to the bottomless pit. We read about that in verse two. He opens the shaft of the bottomless pit. And from the shaft rose smoke, like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened, with the smoke from the shaft. Okay, so after Satan gets beat up by Michael, and after he falls, okay, what does he do? Somehow, for some reason, he's given permission to open up the bottomless pit. And he opens up the shaft, and as he opens up the shaft, smoke, John's having all these apocalyptic visions. This is what he's seeing. John sees smoke billowing out of the bottomless pit, filling the air and darkening the sun. What is the bottomless pit? The bottomless pit is the place where Satan will be bound for 1,000 years after Jesus literally comes back and sets up his 1,000-year kingdom, the millennial reign. Also, the bottomless pit is that place where right now there are certain fallen angels who have been bound, and they're bound there because of some kind of heinous sin that they did in the past. Peter talks about it. Peter said, God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell. In the Greek, Peter chose the word Tartaro, from where we get the word Tartarus, if you're familiar with Greek mythology. And so the angels that sinned, God didn't spare them. He cast them down to Tartaro, and he delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. And so usually in the New Testament, when the Greek, um, the, the, the Greek word for hell is Hades, the abode of the dead. But in this case, Peter decides to use the word Tartaro, okay, from where we get our word Tartarus. In other words, in Greek mythology, which by the way was very prevalent and well known in Peter's time in the first century AD because of the Hellenistic influence Um, And what I'm talking about there is, if you remember, uh, Alexander the Great conquers the world. Greece is the world empire for a number of years. They're defeated by Rome, but the Greek culture, the Hellenistic culture, influences the entire Roman empire, including Israel. Okay, and so Peter, what does he do? He uses a term that's familiar in his day to describe the place where the angels are locked up. Okay, what's the term in Greek mythology? Tartarus. Tartarus described that horrible prison way below Hades where the worst offenders of the gods had to go when they offended the gods. So Peter says, okay, that's, that's mythology, that's myth, but I'm gonna take that word And the Holy Spirit leads him to include that in his letter, again, to describe what I believe John calls the bottomless pit. Jude sheds some more light on this whole subject. Look at Jude 6. It says that the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he, God, has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Please notice that not, not all of the fallen angels that fell with Lucifer the, in, during the initial fall, not all of them are locked up. How do you know? Have you ever lived life? <laughs> They're there. They're there in the spirit realm. The whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Okay, but some of them are locked up. Those that did not keep their proper domain, those that decided to leave their own abode. Okay, so when did that happen? I'm just gonna touch on this and run, but you can study it later. Please don't turn, but in Genesis chapter six, before the flood, okay, pre-flood era, what happened is that Genesis six says that the sons of God cohabitated with the daughters of men. The daughters of men got pregnant, and what was the result? The Nephilim or the giants, okay? And so the the phrase sons of God, Job 38, 7, can be used interchangeably with angels. So follow follow the logic here, Genesis 6. Some of the angels had sex with some of the human women. They got pregnant, and what happened? They gave birth to young men who became the Nephilim or the giants in the land. Now we all know angels cannot procreate. And so there's lots of different positions that theological scholars have on what happened in Genesis chapter six. Here's what I think is most plausible. I believe that what happened was that these, some of these fallen heinous angels, what did they do? They possessed some of these certain wicked men before the flood and these possessed men had sex with these women, and that's where you get this, these, these things called the Nephilim. What were they trying to do? They were trying to pollute the gene pool in order to stop the Messiah from coming into the world. I know I'm giving you a lot of information right now, but you know we, we, we gotta keep moving. And so he, here's what you need to know. What you need to know is that sin that those fallen angels committed was so grievous that what happened is that God banished them into what Peter calls Tartarus, what John calls, here in Revelation nine, the bottomless pit. And so during the tribulation period, the time's gonna come for these fallen angels to be let out of their cage. Satan gets his rear end kicked by Michael. He falls to the earth. He's mad, his ego's been bruised. He wants to take his fury out on the Lord. But he can't. Why? What did I tell you about Jesus? He's our big brother. You can't come against the Lord. And so, if you can't come against the Lord, what do you do to try to hurt the Lord? You come against the people the Lord loves. God loves the whole world. And so, what what does Satan do? He goes over to the bottomless pit, he opens up the shaft to let out some of his old friends from back in the day for reinforcements to come against humanity. I know this sounds bizarre, but let me tell you something. The tribulation period, the last seven years of history, it's bizarre. So now we look at verse three, please. Verse three. Then from the smoke came what? Locusts. These are not actual locusts, and I'll explain why in a moment. And they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And so Satan opens the bottomless pit. Locusts pour out. By the way, in 1951 and 52, Saudi Arabia, Jordan, Iran, Iraq experienced this terrible plague of locusts. These locusts actually destroyed hundreds of thousands of square miles of vegetation. They were literal locusts. John, as he has this vision, trying to describe it. The best way he can describe the stuff that's coming out of the pit is that they're like locusts. And so they come and they're not actual locusts. How do you know? Because they're told here in the Bible not to touch any of the Earth's vegetations. Okay, what do locusts do? They destroy vegetation. But what are these beings gonna do? They're gonna destroy mankind, but not real locusts. What are they? What does the fifth trumpet loose? Dreadful, demonic beings that are loosed upon mankind. Now, can you imagine when Satan opens up the shaft of the bottomless pit? These things have been in there for thousands of years, and they're gonna be so eager to get out. And, and, and listen, they are especially evil angels. So it's kinda of like if we were to open up all the penitentiaries around America and let these guys out who raped and killed and murdered so many people, and now they're free on the streets of America. It's the same thing, uh, but, but it's, it's, it's in the spiritual realm. And these quote unquote locusts, they come out and just like real locusts cause quick devastation upon vegetation, so these demonic beings are gonna quickly devour much of mankind, who are they gonna harm? Look at the end of verse four. Who do they harm? Only those people who do not have the seal of God on their forehead. Now if you remember from a former study, those that have the seal of God, they're the 144,000 Jewish evangelists who go around the earth by God's grace during the last seven years, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, witnessing to people. And so some people are gonna receive their testimony, get saved, and many of them are getting their head chopped off. But many many people, most people sadly, reject the witness of the 144,000. And so what happens now is that these unredeemed human beings, billions of them, on the planet during the tribulation period, they are fair game for a close encounter of the third kind with demonic beings. And so this is what's happening here in your Bible. And so now we pick it up in verse five. It says that they, that's these demonic beings that were locked up, were allowed to torment them, that's humanity, unredeemed humanity, for five months, can you imagine this? That's like from here now till, what, November? But not to kill them, just torment them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings somebody. By the way, anybody ever been stung by a scorpion in the house? Anybody, raise your hand. I see that hand, praise the Lord. Um, <laughs> somebody got saved today, yes, right? Sir, did it hurt? Did it hurt? Yeah, it hurt, it hurt. Okay, and so scorpion bites, when you, when you look, look it up and you study it, it's, it's a horrible, horrible pain, but it doesn't, usually, it doesn't kill. John says in his vision, it's like that. It's so bad in verse six. In those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. Now, this is highly symbolic language. We don't take this literally here because John uses the word like eight times, okay? That's how we know as we're rightly dividing the word of truth when to interpret literally, when to interpret allegorically. This is allegorical language. He uses the word like eight times, okay? And so this pain, um, the, the, the pain that this, these, these devils inflict are, are absolutely horrible, and so we don't know, fo- follow me here for a minute, we don't know if these angels are gonna materialize and are gonna somehow sting physically Right? We know angels are immaterial, you can't see them, but we also know from um, when God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah that the two angels that appeared to Abraham materialized, they were able to see in a tangible form. So we don't know if these fallen angels are gonna materialize and inflict physical pain or if they're gonna remain hidden in the invisible realm and they're gonna f- inflict mental and emotional torture. Either way, their sting is horrendous. Either way, it causes people to want to die. They long for death, but death um, flees from them. And, And now this is where, in verses seven through 10, John uses the word like eight times. Check it out. Verse seven. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. Okay, so imagine a horse rearing up, stomping its hooves, ready to charge into battle. That's what these things want to do to mankind. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold, and so they conquer as they go forth. Their faces were like human faces. They're personal beings. They're not insects. They have an intellect, emotion, and will. Verse eight, their hair, this is interesting, like a woman's hair. Okay, I think that's um, speaking of some type of um, seductive nature that these demons have over mankind. In other words, they lure people. How many of you guys know that the, the devil's a liar? How many of you guys know that he lures us, he promises contentment, fulfillment by whatever, and then we take the bait, and the next thing you know, we're destroyed? Okay, I don't know why people read books on the occult. I don't know why people get involved in witchcraft. I don't know why people mess around with Wicca or Ouija boards. I don't know why uh, people decide to consult mediums or try to conjure up spirits from the dead. I don't know why people get involved in all this stuff except to think that they're seduced, they're Lord. They think that this stuff is gonna offer them some, some type of fulfillment and guess what happens? It damns their souls. And that's why it says back in, um, Deuteronomy chapter 18 to stay away from all that junk. Okay, and so, like women's hair, nothing against you women, all right, and then their teeth, like, in verse 8, lion's teeth, that means it hurts like crazy when they bite you. They had breastplates, like breastplates of iron, they're unstoppable, and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots as they swarm down upon humanity with horses rushing into battle. Verse 10, they have tails and stings like scorpions. Again, intense pain. And their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. And now we're introduced to a new character. Look at verse 11. And they have as a king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, And in Greek, he's called Apollyon. And so whether you're talking about the Hebrew name or the Greek name, both Abaddon and Apollyon mean destroyer. And so this is not Satan. Satan's the one who lets this thing out of the pit. And so there's ranks in the demonic realm, just like there's ranks within the holy angel realm. And so this Abaddon that comes out, he's under the rule of Satan, but he's over all the other vile demonic beings that come out of the pit, verse 12. Okay, so what's gonna happen is that um, this guy is gonna destroy more than any of the other angels. That's why his name is Destroyer. Okay, verse 12. The first woe has passed. Behold, two woes are still to come. And then the sixth angel blew his trumpet. And I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound. Question, church family, are any holy angels bound? No, these are fallen angels. Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released, this is shocking here, to kill one-third of mankind. What in the world is gonna happen when the sixth trumpet sounds? If you're taking notes, four fallen angels are loosed to destroy one third of the human race. That's shocking, That's, that's, you can't get your mind around that idea. Now these four fallen angels are loosed from the area of the Euphrates River. When you look at the Euphrates River, what you find is that it starts up in Turkey, modern-day Turkey, and it flows down, kinda close to the Tigris there, but it flows all the way down through Syria, through Iraq, all the way down to the Persian Gulf. It's 1,740 miles long. That's about the distance from Boston to Port St. Lucie. It's a humongous river. These four angels are bound in that area. You say, why? I don't know. Listen, when the Bible doesn't speak, we don't know. And so I always make sure when I'm sharing my opinion, this is my opinion, when I'm sharing God's word, it's God's word, okay? One's authoritative and one's not, all right? So here's my opinion. My opinion is when you look at that area of the world, what you know when you study ancient, ancient history is that there was four Gentile world empires that during ancient times persecuted God's people in Israel. If you look to the left bottom part of your screen, you see Jerusalem, you see a little sliver of land, that's Israel about the size of New Jersey, the Promised Land, by the way, the Promised Land is much bigger, Uh, but anyway, these four Gentile nations back in ancient history, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Roman Empire, they all persecuted God's people in Israel. And we know, again, a lot of information, but we know from Daniel 10 that there are demonic overlords overseeing all the nations of the world. By the way, quick trivia, what one nation, what one nation does not have a fallen angel ruling over it, but a holy angel ruling over it? Anybody know? Israel. Israel. Anybody know the angel's name? I love that name, Michael. (laughs) Right, but we know from Daniel chapter 10 that there's a demonic overlords. Let's listen, ladies and gentlemen, let's let's get our heads out of the sand. The whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Have you read the news? Okay, so here's my opinion. My opinion is that the four demonic overlords over Babylon. Medo-Persia, Greece, and the Roman Empire, their sin of swaying these earthly kings to come against God's people was so heinous, they were locked up. Again, we don't know for sure. What we do know for sure is that when they're loosed, they're gonna take out one-third of mankind. Now, if you remember, when the first four seals were opened, one-fourth of the world's population was wiped out. Again, you don't want to be here during the tribulation. One-fourth. When you add to that, now the sixth trumpet, one-third of the world's population wiped out. What you have right now in your Bibles is over, well over half, especially when you include all the other people that are dying, well over half of the population that started when the Antichrist signs the the peace treaty in the Middle East, bringing peace to the Middle East, when that happens, up until this point in the Bible, over a half of the people that were alive back then are now dead. It's crazy when you think about it. Now, right now, the world's population is about 7.4 billion people. Experts tell us that by 2050, there's gonna be 9.7 billion people on our planet. And so I personally, this is my firm conviction, you may agree, you may disagree, but my firm conviction is that the rapture could happen at any moment, it's imminent. We ought to be ready every single day to go up and meet the Lord, right? But here's what I know, no one knows the day or the hour. So if the rapture doesn't happen for another 30 or 35 years, we don't know, and the world actually reaches 9.7 to 10 billion people, half, more than half, are wiped out by the second half of the tribulation period. Can you imagine how difficult it would be to bury or cremate five billion people, especially when many of them are wiped out simultaneously? Can you imagine I mean, I've said this before. You walk out of your house this afternoon and you look at your pretty sidewalk and the landscape and the flowers, right, and the curbs and the streets. Your neighborhood's gonna be a war zone during this time. It's gonna look like a third world country that just had a war. And there's gonna be bodies, ladies and gentlemen, everywhere. It's a horrible, horrible, horrible time in human history and it's all because man said, I wanna do things my way. And so, how are these four angels gonna kill a third of mankind through the largest war the world has ever seen up to this point? Maybe it's World War III, we don't know, but let's read about it in verse 16. It says that the number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. Ladies and gentlemen, that's 200 million Mounted troops. And somebody says, no way. China's only got 2.3 million in their armed forces. John says at the end of verse 16, I heard their number. 200 million troops. Verse 17, and this is how I saw the horses in my vision. Okay, John's trying his best to describe his apocalyptic vision here. This is how I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode them. They wore breastplates of the color of fire and sapphire and of sulfur. And their heads of the horses were like lions' heads. And the fire and smoke and sulfur that came out of their mouths. And by these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and the smoke and the sulfur coming out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents with heads, and by means of them they wound. Again, highly, highly allegorical language here. And so the question is, in this passage, is it talking about humans or demons? A human army or a demonic army? One of my favorite commentators, and if you wanna get deeper into the Bible and you need a commentary, I recommend John Phillips. This is what he has to say about that. Is this an army of men or of demons? Probably the description is that of an army of men that are driven by demons. So then the four angels from the Euphrates conjure up spirit legions who madden men and drive them forth to battle. The mention of fire, smoke, and brimstone might also be symbolic reference to modern warfare, maybe World War III, with its emphasis on fire, And on flame, and so somebody says, "Well, if Phillips is right, how can you have an army of two hundred million men?" Well, here's how: it's not. It maybe it's not just describing how many guys are in one army in one nation. Maybe it's describing all of the troops in many nations that are coming to fight against one another. When you look at China, I read this week. There's yes, there's two point three million people in their armed forces. But over 600 million are fit for battle. And so, whether you, maybe it's conscripted soldiers that are here, take a gun, we're going to fight. But there's 200 million troops fighting against one another. The result is a third of mankind is wiped out. That's shocking. But let me tell you something our last two verses, that's the most shocking here. Look at this. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands. They didn't repent. Nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver. You see, behind every idol, the Bible teaches, there's a demon. They wouldn't give that up. And they wouldn't repent of... um, these idols of bronze, stone, and wood, which cannot see, hear, or walk. Verse 21, please look at this, verse 21. Nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries. The Greek word there is pharmakia. It relates to illegal drugs. Okay, so if you're here today, and you're involved in illegal use of drugs, number one, it's against the law of man. Number two, it's against the law of God. And right now in your heart, if you're saying, I don't care what you say, I'm gonna keep smoking my dope or doing whatever I'm doing, then you're in the category of these people. You see that? Hey, church family, can we be the church? God said, be holy for I am holy. What are you doing messing around with drugs? Listen it ends up spiraling out of control. It's gonna end up in the toilet, not just for you, but for your family. You need to repent of that sin. And if you need help, get help. We're here to help. There's professionals that we can take you to that will help you, but stop. Stop stop bringing shame upon God's name. End it today, no more. Flush it down the toilet, okay? These people were into drugs and they said, no, we're not going to repent. Not only that, look at the end of verse 21, they would not repent of their sexual immorality. The Greek word there is pornea, from where we get the English word pornography. If you're here today and you're looking at pornography, you're in this group. Repent of that. Stop bringing shame on God's name. What, what, what in the world are you doing looking at the pictures of of, of naked people. It's not right. And you say, I can't stop. Yes, you can stop. Listen, you just a little while ago sang, there is power in the name of Jesus, and you're going to go home and look at pornography? Listen, if you don't believe it, don't sing it. There is power in the name of Jesus Christ that can deliver you from all that junk. And so here, do, do us all a favor. Do God a favor. Stop coming into this church playing church when you're going home and you're doing drugs and you're looking at pornography. Listen, I don't really care if this stops the growth of our church. I don't care about how big our church is. I wanna be the pastor of a church of not perfect people, but people who love God and his love motivates them to serve him in holiness, holiness and purity. They would not repent, you know why they wouldn't repent? They would not repent because they say to God from their heart, I want it my way. And C.S. Lewis had something to say about people who have to have it their way, and it's your last point. There are only two kinds of people in the end who say to God, thy will, there's only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. I hope that's you. And those to whom God says, in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell, choose it. Without that self choice, there could be hell. Do not tell me that God chooses some people to be saved and he predetermines, chooses some people to go to hell. That's not true. All that are in hell, choose it because they have to have their own way. I'm totally out of time. We don't have time for a response here. But but, but, but here's what I want to encourage you to do. You can have the response time at home. You can go in your closet, go to a private place. You can get on your knees before the Lord, and you can repent. As Pastor Will said earlier, you can call on the name of the Lord, and he'll show up. Please listen. As the prayer partners are coming forward, please, right now, prayer partners, come forward. Please listen to this, James chapter four. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. The only power that can break the chains of sin in your life and in my life is the power of our big brother, Jesus Christ. Listen, it's not about just saying a little prayer for fire insurance. It's about you and I making a choice to stay like this with Jesus, so that his power can defeat the power of the enemy. Amen? One of the greatest gifts God can give his children is the assurance of their salvation you're not sure where you stand with God. We want to help. Visit our website at calvarypsl.com. Click on I'm New Here, then Knowing Christ.